Everybody is moving from transformative relationships or they are leaning into them. Those are our only two options because we're not static beings. And the two categories that control us, well, they are pride and humility. If you are controlled by pride, you are moving from transformative relationships. If you are controlled by humility, you are leaning into transformative relationships. And when I say transformative relationships, I'm, I'm not talking about necessarily the friends that you have, but I'm talking about people who know you up and down, inside and out, and they are willing to speak into your life. All of us have friends. Now, those friends are all over the map. You can have Facebook friends. You can have real-life friends. But that doesn't mean that you have transformative relationships. And so in this podcast, I want to talk about the necessity of having transformative relationships if you want to continue to change, to progress into Christ-likeness. This is episode 160, and the title of it is The Risky Business of practicing humility. Not only do we move from or lean into transformative relationships, but I mentioned the two controlling categories, either pride or humility. And this idea of practicing humility is risky business. Let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You are listening to Life Over Coffee. Life Over Coffee is the podcast that I do to talk about different topics and issues and questions that come in on our forums, different things. This is episode 160. I want to talk about this idea of humility. And the reason for this podcast, quite honestly, frankly, is because we receive many forum posts each month from individuals who have ruined their lives. Up to this point, they have ruined their lives. Primarily, marriages. They've ruined their marriages. And the common thread that runs through their lives is a lack of humility. And so my hope in this podcast is that it will be preventative, a preventative way to, to keep a soul from self-destructing. I know it's a drop in the bucket, but I have to do this because my prayer is and my desire is that somebody will listen to this podcast and just stop their foolishness. Uh, cannot, we, we have been doing our forums uh, for nine years now. We've been running our forums, and there have been thousands and thousands of posts uh, placed on them, and many of them are people who come to us after regret. I was talking to Lucia yesterday about somebody in our life that they've been living at some distance from God, and they thought that they can continue to do that, and after a few years, uh, it finally folded up on them, and their la their lives collapsed, and and now they're returning to the Lord. And we were talking about how you just can't continue to do that. You can't continue to live as a proud person and name the name of Christ and expect that it not do damage to yourself, to your marriage, to your relationships, to your church. And we have another couple like that in our lives currently. And as we were talking about them, it's like they think that they can get away with it, but the truth is the way of the transgressor, it is hard, and you can't continue to live 
in a stubborn and proud way and expect things to go well with you. You can fake it for a while. This is a dangerous game that we play, and, and that's where my heart is right now, and that's why I want to share this podcast with you. If you want to read the notes that I have, I would encourage you to do that. Go to episode 160, The Risky Business of Practicing Humility, because it is hard. Uh, It's a difficult thing to be transparent and be vulnerable in the right community. Let me give you a caveat here. I'll, I'll be using the male pronoun throughout this podcast, and I have that sprinkled throughout the show notes here. But even though I'm using the male pronoun, because that's just the writing style, these ideas apply to both male and female. And so what I would hope that you would do is that you would take these ideas, this podcast, the show notes, and adapt them to refer to you. Uh, That is the best case scenario. (laughs) The worst case scenario is, is to think that, man, I hope I hope so-and-so listens to this. This is exactly what they need to hear. Maybe it is what they need to hear, but that could also be a horrendous mistake. You don't want to miss this yourself. And with that caveat in mind, let me give you my apology. Just because I am teaching on this subject, I would not want you to think this does not imply at all that I have perfected the gift of humility. I have not. I am growing in it as you are growing in it. Uh, That doesn't keep me from teaching on it, but I want to state the obvious here. Uh, Perchance somebody listening to this podcast and they think, well, you you must think you've arrived. (laughs) That's a joke. No, I haven't. And I have evidence (laughs) to support my claim. I live with four other people. And uh, they would not, they don't mind me teaching on this subject. They've heard me teach on a thousand things, uh, including this, uh, but they also have enough sense and enough maturity to know that the things that I teach on does not imply that I have perfected any of these things. But I do want to lean into transformative relationships. I want to lean into this idea of humility. I don't want to grow in pride and pursue pursue pride, uh, which would be practically lived out by being a difficult person to, to live with and to be around, etc. So there's my apology. Now I want to give you an assignment. The best response that you could have from listening to this podcast and looking over these show notes is to share them with a friend. But it has to be a certain kind of friend because, as I said earlier, we can surround ourselves with people uh, that really don't help us. In Hebrews, it talked about it talks about spurring one another on to loving good deeds. If you don't have at least one person that pushes you in a kind way, it's like a a fitness instructor. It's like having a a personal coach uh, for fitness, and they're not yelling in your face, but they're challenging you to do a little more and. Uh, they hold you accountable. Sometimes, I mean, the temptation is is to surround ourselves with people that don't do that, and they don't do that for different reasons. They could be uh, less. They could be immature. It's easy to impress the fifth graders, and if you surround yourself with a bunch of fifth graders, well, and and you're in high school, to follow my analogy, well, your fifth graders are going to be impressed, and those people aren't going to speak into your life. And some people strategize their lives that way. 
They surround themselves with people that they can impress, people that they are in awe of. And that would be unfortunate. And then other people are just afraid uh, to speak. This is not an easy thing to do, uh, to share your heart with someone. And so it requires two people working together. You have to create an environment of grace that is inviting for them to speak in your life, and you have to encourage them. As I say often, that if you want to be held accountable, if you truly want to be held accountable, then you would find that person and you would make them hold you accountable. It's a little bit of mis- it's a little misleading to talk about people that won't hold you accountable. The truth is, if you wanted to be held accountable, you'd go find someone and you'd spill out your life to them and especially your faults and hidden secrets and weaknesses, and say, this is who I really am. But sometimes we get angry at other people because, well, they won't hold us accountable. Well, okay. I mean, that's normal. I'm not saying it's right, but that's normal. I don't expect anybody to consistently speak into my life. I don't expect anybody to love me the way that I need to be loved. But if you really want to be held accountable— Go find that person, talk to your pastor, talk to your small group leader, talk to someone that you trust and will be willing to reciprocate with you, but you go ahead and lay it out there. Don't send them on a fishing expedition and be elusive and hard uh, for them to speak into your life. Make it real for them. And so the best, your best response to this podcast is to find someone, a friend, and share this Uh, with them. But there are three component parts to that friend that you're looking for. One, they must be compassionate. Two, they must have courage. Three, they must be competent. They must have all three of these things. They must be compassionate because you want them to be kind, not harsh. You want them to be caring with their communication with you. Compassion is critical. It's something that we're kind of in short supply of in our current culture. But you also want them to be courageous, as I was saying before. They can't be afraid of telling you what they think about you. Now, if they are compassionate, well, it will sound okay. It'll come across okay, but it'll come across directly and clearly because they have courage. And then the third element is competence. You want them to have, you want them to be competent. They not only need theological knowledge, but they need biblical discernment to help you. They need both of those things. Theological knowledge will form the foundation to, to what they need to say, but discernment will give them the ability to customize it to who you are. And so as you share this assignment with a friend, these are the three component parts that you're looking for in that friend. Compassionate, courageous, and competent. Episode 160, The Risky Business of Practicing humility. You're either pushing into humility and transformative relationships, or you're running from it, and that would be pride. And so let me share a few thoughts with you, and then I have some questions at the end that I hope that will be a blessing or a help to you. The best deterrent for moral failure is humility. This is a foundational characteristic to all of our lives if we want to change. If a person is regularly pursuing humility, he is willfully exposing himself to God's empowering favor. Now, when I say empowering favor, well, that's a synonym for uh, God's grace. 
God gives us his grace, but it's empowering grace. It's not just a free gift that means nothing, but it is the ability to actually change. God swings the door open, and he gives you empowering favor, and so the best deterrent for moral failure is humility, but humility is, as the podcast title suggests, it is risky business, but if you truly want to change, then you're going to pursue humility, and when you do, you will experience God's empowering grace or his empowering favor. If a person is not regularly pursuing humility, then there's only one other action, and that is the opposing hand of God that will be against you. And that's what James is teaching in James 6. But he gives more grace, James says. Therefore it says, quote, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so if you are pursuing humility, as risky as that may sound, that is your best option. Because once you do that, God will begin to pour out his empowering favor on you. If you do not do that, then what you have is God's opposition. Too often we think that when we have a relational difficulty with someone that, and we feel the opposition, we think the opposition is that person. But if we are being proud in that relationship, that other person is not the primary opposition. God opposes the proud. It is quite clear. The humble man is always looking up to God and up to others, not like the Pharisee in the temple looking down on the publican. That is pride, an elevated view of yourself, a self-righteous view of yourself. is pride looking down on others, but the humble man is looking up to God, looking up to others, seeking their help. Dear Lord, will you help me? Uh, dear friend, compassionate, courageous, competent friend, will you help me? And what better situation can a man be in than to have God on his side, working on his behalf? In the world of counseling, it happens without exception. If there is a moral failure in a person's life, you can rightly assume that there has been a lack of humility and tied to that is a lack of transparency. I want to give you a few quotes along this idea of, of humility. I think these came from my prof, Stuart Scott, about 20 years ago. I can't remember honestly because it was 20 years ago, but I'm going to put it out there anyway and give him credit for giving me the quotes, even though none of them are his but they're good for different reasons. Watson said an angel is a knowledgeable creature, but take away humility and he is a devil. And that is so true. And so we want to be angelic, but we want to make sure, you know, sometimes we say it in our house, you're, you're acting like an angel today, but you do need to qualify what kind of angel are we talking about. But humility, humility is the key that will send you in one or two directions. You will be angelic in the best sense of the word, or you can be like the devil, and humility is the key that will uh, determine which one it will be. Brooks said, self-seeking blinds the soul to where it can't see the beauty of Christ. And that's what pride does. Calvary begins to diminish 
And Calvary begins to darken to where you can't see it any longer when you become a self-seeking person. Chesterton, which we have to quote him because he had, he's quotable, quite honestly, but he said, or attributed to him, the donkey thought the shouts and palms were for him rather than the Christ he carried. And that's an awful thing. And I see the visual of that, and unfortunately, I have been that ass before, more, more times than I care to think. And I can see the donkey going through town, and people are shouting, Hosanna, and the donkey's looking around with his big teeth and grinning from ear to ear, thinking that the shouts and palms were for him rather than the Christ he carried. And unfortunately, I mean, I do. I, I can see myself in that picture, uh, sadly. Owen said, everything in the preaching of the word comes across and against the minds of proud men. And this is the historical problem with the Bible it cuts against the grain of our proud hearts, and it hurts, and we don't want to respond to it initially, and it, it can dig deep and cut deep, but that's, who, that's where we are. We are, by nature, proud people, men and women, and when the preaching of the Word comes or a friend comes and shares God's Word practically with us, it does come across and against the minds of our proud hearts, but hopefully that it would bring the necessary conviction and that our hearts would be humbled. And so with that, with humility in mind, I want to talk about just a little bit some evidences of humility. And I would like for you to take these five evidences and, and assess yourself. Now, this, is, this would be part of the show notes here that I would love for you to take to your compassionate, courageous, and competent friend, and you Talk to, uh, talk to that person about this. But evidence number one, humility is evident when you are consumed with Christ and loving others primarily. This is another way of talking about the two great commandments in uh, Matthew 22. Loving God supremely, loving others more than yourself. Well, if you are doing that, if that is the general direction of your life, and it is important as I move through these evidences is that you do distinguish between patterns and episodes. None of us are going to do this perfectly in a pattern for all of our lives. That is not even remotely possible. There will be episodes or episodic sinning, episodic moments of pride. And so I'm not talking about episodes but I'm talking about how you are characterized on a general basis, your general characterization primarily, the pattern of your life. And is the pattern of your life where you are consumed with Christ and loving others primarily? And here's the discussion point along with that evidence is describe your affection for Christ and your desire to see others know, know him. Wife, if if you could, if it's possible, to sit down with your husband and, and ask him this question. Or maybe you could just share with him what you see in this evidence. Uh, you describe your perspective of his affection for Christ and his desire to see others know him. Or does he have affection for something else? More so, sports or work or whatever it may be. And then husband, you could do the same for your wife. 
But there should be an outflow of affection in the humble heart, affection for Christ and a desire for others to know Jesus. Number two, as far as humble evidence, humility is evident when you know how lowly you are before God. It's it's not like the donkey that I described earlier. The donkey did not realize how lowly the donkey should be or was. The donkey had a high view of himself. Paul described himself as the foremost sinner in 1 Timothy 1.15. You know the text. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. How do you see yourself in the context of Paul's teaching? Do you have this... uh, this, this, I was going to say pattern, but you have this ongoing awareness is what I was trying to say. Do you have this ongoing awareness of where you were before God found you as the foremost sinner? You don't want to forget that. The teaching in Matthew 18, uh, that we, if we forget the mercy that was extended at us, that was the, the man who owed 10,000 talents and he went out and beat up the guy who owed 100 denarii. When we forget where we were before God found us and regenerated us, we can start having an elevated view of ourselves. And so humility is evident when you know how lowly you are before God. And, of course, Paul described himself as the foremost sinner. So how do you see yourself in the context of Paul's teaching? Number three, humility is evident when this lowliness accompanies joy and bliss. But rather than wallowing in a warm, a worm theology, your soul is exalted because of God's mercy. And those are the two ditches. And some people can walk around with this worm theology, woe is me, I'm the chief of sinners, the foremost sinner. And it's just an awful way to, to manifest and to live and to think about yourself if you are not attaching that to joy and bliss. Because Paul went on to say in verse 16 of 1 Timothy 1, but God showed mercy. God had mercy. Both of those things are true at the same time. And if you can keep both of those things in a perfect tension, I was a lowly, worthless sinner before God, and he saved me and now I am experiencing joy and bliss. This reminder of the foremost sinner keeps you walking in humility, and then this awareness that God regenerated this foremost sinner, lifted me out of a horrible pit and placed me on a rock. And as you are sitting on your rock or standing on your rock, you're looking at the pit, and so you're holding both of those things in a beautiful tension And that should cause humility. You never want to forget where you came from. Thus, my thought for you is, describe your affection for Christ, for what he did for you. Are you truly affected by Christ and truly grateful for what he did for you? Humility is evident when this lowliness accompanies joy and bliss. Number four, Humility is evident when you are most satisfied in glorifying your God. My question is, is the spreading of God's fame at the top of your daily to-do list? As you talk with your compassionate, uh, competent, courageous friend, 
You want to talk about this idea, what do they see in you? And by the way, what do you see in them? You want to help them as well. And the fifth point here under humble evidence, humility is evident when you have a daily mindset that from God, to God, through God, belongs all things. That's Romans eleven thirty six. What if the Lord gave you only the things that you were grateful for in the past two days? What would you get? Would you get anything at all? Or would you get this heap in bounty because virtually everything that comes out of your mouth is gratitude? The question is, are you characterized as a grateful person? And so these are some of the evidences of humility, and I would love for you to work through them with a friend. This is episode 160, The Risky Business of Practicing Humility. And then finally, I want to give you uh, the humble test. I want to give you a few questions that will serve you regarding your level of transparency and honesty, specifically in your marriage. I want to talk about marriage because that's how I led with the number of people that come to our ministry post the destruction of their marriage, and it's always tied to a lack of humility. And so with that in mind, let me ask you a few questions. At what level do you communicate with your spouse? Are you striving to be more transparent with each other? Number two, do you have an all-access pass into each other's lives? What secret things do you keep from each other? And if you do this, why do you do this? Number three, at what level do you guard each other against inappropriate relationships? Do you talk about what inappropriate relationships are and how to protect against them? Why or why not? This is an important conversation to have between a husband and a wife. And if you can't have, if you can't talk about any of these seven points that I'm sharing with you, your marriage is in trouble. And I would appeal to you in, in the strongest way to get help. Number four. Does your spouse know with whom each person you regularly communicate? Do you talk about who you talked with today? Who is in your life that your spouse is not aware of? Number five, does your spouse have access to your cell phone, text messages, email, and social media accounts? If you're hiding things from each other, there is something wrong with your marriage. We use, from a technical perspective, we use LastPass. It is a password-saving software uh, that gives you very long and hyper-secure uh, passwords, which is fantastic, and it remembers them. Uh, but both Lucia and I have, we have one account, one LastPass account, and so I have access to all of her passwords, and she has access to all of mine. And that's important that you can access each other's information. I mean, you're one flesh, not two different people. And it just doesn't make sense when we divide marriages this way. There's, there really isn't anything that you should be hiding. Number six, do you present an image to others? Or do you present an image on social media that is different from who you are in your private life? This is a huge temptation in our culture today. In social media, particularly Facebook, where many of us are, we only present half of our lives. 
it's so easy to mislead people and it's so easy to control the narrative of your life. And if you do this, present a different image, why do you do this? Though there is a dichotomy between who we should be in Christ and who we indeed are, the critical idea is which way are you heading? Are you pressing toward Christ or are you moving away from Him? I don't struggle with the fact that you're not a perfect representation of Jesus because neither am I. I don't struggle with the gap between you and Jesus. You haven't closed that gap entirely. There's always elements of hypocrisy or we're just not complete yet in Christ completely, and neither am I. That's not the issue in question here. The issue in question here is which way are you pressing? Which way are you leaning? Are you trying to close that gap and make it tighter and tighter? Or is it widening? Number seven, are you able to discern how your representative, that person that everybody sees, that person that they see on social media, that person they see at your church meetings, are you able to discern how your representative is different from your private self? I mean, it could be that you don't even know that there is a difference between what you present and who you are. You could be that dull at this point. If you're unwilling to talk about this, you either aren't able to know the difference or you refuse to talk about the incompatibility. Now, if you want to talk to me about this, I'd encourage you to do so. Episode 160, jump on our website, Let's Talk. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee. Thank you.